This is Nichelle Calhoun, and you are listening to Perpetual Blackness, a show that tells the stories of Black D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, while telling my own family story over nine generations. My mother and I feel like twins of sorts physically. 5'1", brown skin, hard to oval-shaped faces, hair that straightens easily but clearly is Africa's creation. Bodies that mimic one another with the individual nuances of time and motherhood, West Africa. We both have one daughter, and like mothers tend to be, as Nayirawahi puts it, she is my first country, my first land, my first home, as I am my daughter's. What's your home? My home is anywhere my mommy is. Oh, babe. But who was my mother's first country? Who was her first home? I'm sure that my mother loved me, but um, there were moments I would think about why I looked so different. Because my mother was light-skinned, my brother was light-skinned, my half-sister was light-skinned. I was the different one. And so maybe that's why mom didn't really want to keep me with her, because I, you know, I just didn't fit the, um, I didn't have the look. You know, I didn't have the complexion. This is an understanding that I always had of my mother's story. One of six, she would go without knowing or seeing much of her biological mother until 18. But when I was 18, I, I had actually lost track of my mother. I went to find her. Throughout my life, my mother's mother, my grandmother Lillian Smoot, remained a distant figure for me. We didn't favor one another. There was no, I see you and me, or me and you. We had so little interaction over the course of our lives. Once in 2017, when I was up from Miami, Florida, and went to visit her at the Bethesda Nursing and Rehabilitation Home right outside Washington, D.C., I checked in, saying that I was there to see my grandmother, Lillian Smoot. The nurse looked at me squarely and asked questionly, Who, the white woman? My mother was cut off from her first country, and so consequently, I was cut off from my mother's first country. But Grandma Lillian left me clues. These are what remain. Sound bites of a few names such as my mother was a Bailey in her southern lilt, her maiden name, the fact that she was from Warrington, which is in Fauquier County, Virginia, and not Washington, D.C., where she had resided since the 1950s and where my mother, my daughter, and I would be born. But in her nursing home room, she left the biggest clue of all, a crackled photo. In the photo is a dark-skinned gentleman and I say he's a gentleman because he very much is. He is handsome, he is suited, he is seated. His left leg is crossed above his right. His left hand rests confidently a few inches above the knee, and his skin is the color of rich soil. A woman is beside him. She is bespectacled. She is beige in color, neutral even, in the black and white photo. She is wearing a necklace over her unfitted house dress. Her jawline is shaped like a slim V, and her chin ends in a square-like point. There is a dog in front of them, at the heels of the seated gentleman. The seated man rests his hands on the dog while his wife stands beside him. I turn the photo over. It says, 1921. These are my grandmother Lillian's parents, and it is the oldest photo of a black couple that I've ever seen. Until that point, I had never even seen a photo of my mother or father as a baby. I have no context for my great-grandparents in the picture because I knew my grandmother so very lightly but I knew the picture seemed to debunk all that I knew about the past. The past of black people can be a very nebulous and formidable place. 
there seems to be no home, no nostalgia in the past. The history books erase it. Our elders seem to avoid it. The little that is spoken to us, we can't seem to get to it. Or so I thought. I'd always thought of the past as this large, unbreakable block of oppression in dark days, individualist, and more of a mass of individuals. No day-to-day, -day, just blocks of years between enslavement and Jim Crow and the present. But as I looked at that 1921 photo, I saw the day-to-day. -day. I saw the special days. I saw people who lived firmly in Jim Crow segregation, 50 miles west of Washington, D.C., in what I now know as Fauquier County, Virginia. I saw people who had pride, a clear sense of themselves, a clear sense of their roles as husband and wife, as parents, as dignified workers, as people who knew that they wanted to take their hard-earned dollars and take a photo, memorializing them and their dog. I decided to contact the Historical Society of Fauquier County, a place I had only been once for a funeral in 1996. I had no connection, no understanding of Fauquier. I just figured that it would be nice to donate a digital version of the photo. When I looked up the Historical Society's website, I saw no presence of black, beige, brown, and I wrote them an email laying out my dismay and why I felt it duly now important to donate the photo. They redirected me to the Afro-American Historical Association of Fauquier County, Virginia. Still living in Miami, I called up to the association and the light sing-song voice on the other end just asked, what's your family's line? I responded with what I knew, Lawson's, Bailey's, Smoot's. The light sing-song voice said, that's my line. It wasn't clear at that time in April 2015 what I would do with this connection, but as my grandmother Lillian Smoot passed from this world to the next on June 1st, 2017, she seemed to give me the go-ahead with a final FaceTime with one eye already permanently closed. A year later, I can trace my family over nine generations from enslavement to freedom to life in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. How many generations do you know? Um, nine. Can you name them? Backwards from you? Well, I'm the youngest. Mommy's Nichelle, Grandma's Jacqueline, Great Grandma's Lillian, Second Great Grandma's Rachel, Third Great Grandma's Mary Frances, My Fourth Great Grandma's Frances, My Fifth great grandfather is John Lawson, and my sixth great grandmother is I became a bit obsessed with Whole Foods in downtown Silver Spring, Maryland, about a year ago. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the DC region, then let me school you. Silver Spring is this montage of beautiful beings, diverse and fly, and unapologetically repping their origins and who they are. In a city like D.C. that is quickly gentrifying, this suburb is a place where you can hear Amharic, Spanish, Igbo, Caribbean accents, and Southern Black D.C. converge. On any given day, I would walk in to get lunch and become witness to scenes like an older Eritrean man sitting across from a young Black American man deeply engaged in conversation, or see beautiful East and West African women walk in traditional Habesha kimis and a range of African cloths. There are always plenty of locks, braids, froze, artistic styles, and wigs, and of course, shades, shades of blackness, shades that I haven't even been privy to. 
When I see these worlds passing by, engaging, I can't help but think, what part of the colonial legacy are they taking down in their conversation today? I quickly realized that this has to be one of the blackest Whole Foods in America. Uh, Bill Johnson. And so you are a native Washington. Yeah, yeah, I was born in D.C. What's home for you? Does Washington, D.C. feel like your <laughs> home, your ancestral home? No, no, there's no, there's no ancestral home in D.C. D.C. is just where I was born and where I live. Um, I've traveled a lot, so I don't find it necessary to claim D.C. as an ancestral home place. You know what I'm saying? Again, home is in the heart, so you can make home wherever your, your, your mind and your body and your spirit is located. So I'm not claiming any, any land mass at the moment as a home, only, only my body. So wherever I go, I'm at home. You understand? I immediately felt comfortable here in D.C. coming from Detroit, where it was predominantly an African-American city at the time. It's no longer that. Um, But I am from a city where I was um, primarily around African-Americans and saw black businesses and was raised within a pan-African community and then came to uh, Howard University, which was is an all-black um, university in Washington, D.C., which used to be called Chocolate City. And I just felt like an extension of home for me. Um, it's very similar to Ebonique. I came here to study at Howard, and um, I heard that it was Chocolate City, so that's what drew me here. Before I lived, before I came here, I actually lived in... Um, Huntsville, Alabama for about two and a half years. It was uh, a trying time to say the least, but um, I think because of my experience there, it made me want to go to an HBCU and experience that kind of camaraderie and where, you know, I don't have to explain the very basic things like of my being. So um, that's why I came here in the first place. And then I feel like I, I came at like the tail end. I came in 2009, so I mean, it, it, we, it's, a, it's like a joke, but it's like, it was like chocolate chip city by the time I got here. Okay, so for instance, it's like food, for instance, right? You got spicy food and you got bland food, right? So back in the day, it would have been a real spicy plate of food. You know, a lot of flavor bursting in your mouth, you know what I'm saying? Now it's just kind of like white bread. That's it. Maybe with some mayonnaise on it. You know what I'm saying? You mentioned ancestral home. I mean, there's absolutely no ancestral feeling to to this land at all. I'm looking for my home still. I know it's not here in the United States. <laughs> um, I don't plan to, I do not want to die in this land. I do not want my body buried in this land. Where is the place that you see yourself reflected and reflects back what you know? Wouldn't that be the definition of home? Home had been many things to me, but mostly in a place where I didn't see myself reflected. It wasn't elsewhere. Then one day, home became Virginia. What do you know about your mommy's research? My mommy is researching all of our family because she found 
a picture on my grandma's dresser, and she sent it to the archives. And she eventually found AAHA, where she found a cousin she never knew. After I found the photo of my great grandparents and found the Afro American Historical Association of Fauquier County, I just had to go visit. The sing song voice that first answered, That's my line, turned out to be my cousin Norma. She is the collections manager for the museum. As I started traveling back and forth from Miami to Fauquier and then from DC to Fauquier, I had to take someone to experience these shifts that were happening for me. This is my friend Megan. We are 20 years deep into this friendship after first meeting at the body shop where we worked in college. I just always knew that you were like in search of something, but I think back then, just based on not being wise enough at that time, like I could tell that you were looking for something, but now that I'm older, we're older, and you are embarking on this journey, it makes sense to me that you were just looking for wherever your home was. I guess Megan's right. Home has always been a journey. And now, Virginia is the destination and the home. You have been asking me for weeks, oh, I want you to come to Virginia with me. Oh, I want you to come to Virginia with me. And I was like, okay. And I will never forget you told me a story about uh, driving over some dirt roads and then your car got stuck and you mentioned snakes. And I'm from Baltimore City. I grew up in Compton, California. I am not really into snakes and dirt roads. It's just not really my thing. I am okay with like broken bottles on the street, um, maybe a drunk man laying in the gutter, not so much snakes in the gutter, okay? Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to go, but can we please go during the day? Because you said it was dark, dirt roads, like I'm not really down with Confederate flags at night. It's not my thing. Or during the day. Or, well, I mean, like, I just want to be able to see, okay? Um, So finally, you told me that uh, you were always talking about this lady, Karen, 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 Karen. She's so awesome. She's so awesome. I'm like, I need to meet this lady because Michelle keeps telling me how great she is. I want to see for myself. So we go in and then you take me and I love imagery. Artistically, that's just kind of how I roll. And when you took me downstairs and like everything was good, you know, I've seen so many African artifacts like it's it's nice. I've seen, you know, you, not you've seen when you've seen them all, but like you've seen them. Right. But when we got to the part of the museum where like I thought it was amazing, they have all these pictures up of all of the different families in Fauquier County, black families, black families like let's be clear, black families. Mm-hmm. I was like, this shit is awesome. Yeah. Like I had never seen anything like that in my life, but to see so many and they have them broken down by family. They have them broken down by a town. Like, it was amazing. I, I said, these women, and let's be clear, these women are doing it. And I'm Karen Hughes-White. I was born in Warrington, Fauquier County in 1953, March 6th. Fauquier County, to me, uh, is a place that um, I can document my family through many generations uh, into slavery into the early 1800s, some enslaved, some free. My name is Angela Hughes Davidson. I was born in Washington, D.C., and my date of birth is November the 10th, 1948. Angela and Karen run a tight mission, collect, preserve, distribute a legacy that is pretty much undistributed. It is their work that allows me to get back to 1786, 
to a woman named Betty Lawson. She's my fifth great-grandmother. We started as the Afro-American Historical Association of Fauquier County. And we were only looking at Fauquier County African-American history, and we wanted to preserve it. Because when we started researching in the library, on one hand, you could count books pertaining to African-Americans. Um, and that didn't particularly mean Fauquier County African-Americans. We started the association because there was a great need. We needed to know about how we came through one era of American history, how we fit into that, what was our roles, what were we afforded, what were we allowed to do, why was there an NAACP, what did they do? I want to look at cause and effect. Um, and with that, I just felt so cheated and so angry again because I realized that when I went through grade school I had no idea about any of this stuff. We got a fourth grade Virginia history book and when I read it I said oh it wasn't you Karen. It wasn't you. It wasn't you not knowing. So I just felt that I had to preserve and to make this history utilizing primary source documents, oral histories, available to other people so that when they have their children and they have them in school that they will know and feel part of history because I did not feel part of American history. I didn't feel that I was part of that story. By the time you get to the end of the book where Booker T. Washington or Harriet Tugman was, half the time school was closed. I never thought of myself as connected to Virginia. Um, it was really seeing a legacy and starting to go back and see the different names and seeing that my family lived in the same space for more than 200 years. And that really that really hit me because before then, you know, it's like when you're in school, you learn about communities like the New England communities and it was built around a church and it was built around a school. I had never thought about a community or a home being constructed in a in the black experience in that way. And that's very much how these communities thought. They're like, we're going to build a church first. The church is going to be a school. And then we built our house around, around here. And, and this is our community. Yes. And then that became the basis of these different black communities. And that's what they're collecting. And then the pictures of the families who live there. It was like I had never seen, I had never thought in those terms. I had never connected what? until then. What's interesting about Virginia, and I don't think people really realize that in the whole black experience and the whole black story, is that if you just scratch enough, you're going to hit Virginia. Isn't that what a diaspora is? A nod to the embedded understanding that wherever you are is not truly yours. An implicit understanding that says your roots are too shallow, your contributions are too light, too lateral to harness. But what if you finally learn that you are the root and you can see that home is this collage based on the shared memory of a place, half mythical, half real? What would it look like? What would it sound like? What would it be like? It would sound, feel, and be a bit, well, like this. Label of love, I savor my tongue. I crave in chocolate, my flavor is young for you. 
for you, oh, for you, oh, oh. That's just a little hook. That's just a hook. <laughs> My name is Kweku Opari. I was born uh, April 25th, 2001. Uh, born in Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Um, Ethnicity-wise, I'm Ghanaian and Haitian. This is Kweku Opari. Kweku is a student at Baltimore City School of the Arts. Yes, that one. The school that both Tupac Shakur and Jada Pinkett graduated from. I hear him first perform at a Baltimore summer program, A Revolutionary Summer. Immediately, his sound is familiar, yet unique, and transports me home. He is 17, but he knows what home sounds like and quickly lays the go-go track and polyrhythms you hear for this show. I got to Baltimore, but my dad was always out in Baltimore. Um, by the time I was three, my parents were separated, so I was just always back and forth from Brooklyn, Long Island, to Baltimore. Um, but I never really knew around the Baltimore scene until... Um, I moved here last August, and um, from there, I knew more than just my neighborhood. Well, both my parents are entertainers in the music business. Um, they're both dancers. They met through dance. Um, my mom was actually in Stomp, the Broadway show in New York. And coincidentally, well, not coincidentally, well, so was my dad. Um... And then, you know, like when they separated, they, my mom continued on to dance, continued to stop, started her own company called Fritzation. And my dad could, did kind of the same thing where he moved to Baltimore again and um, started this thing called Dishi Bem, both West African dance companies. And, you know, I grew up in that. So I've been playing hand percussion and all that drumming for their companies almost basically since birth. Since, uh, since birth, I've been involved with the Akan spirituality, but I haven't really known a lot about it because I was living with my mother at first and my dad, you know, my mother's mom, um, this, she used to be involved with Voodoo and Haitian spirituality, but somehow she just converted to a hardcore Catholic. Everything was baptism, naming the father and the son. I just knew, I knew the whole, I knew the, I knew the Hail Mary. I knew all that by heart, you know, and my brother was with it. My mom, my, my, I was with it and I believed in it. Every Sunday went to church, all of that. But it was always, I can never disconnect with it because when I was drumming, I would feel something else, you know, even at a young age. So I tell people, I was like, yo, son, like I converted when I was like six, yo. And I was six. Like I converted my whole religion. I was like, nah, son. I, my, my grandmother, like out of love, I got baptized for my grandmother. She was like, you need to get baptized. She was so confident that was the only way I would be safe or whatever. I was just like, all right, you know, I'm not going to bash your religion because it's, you know, it's actually, you know, she like integrated her voodoo with, with, with with the Christianity, with the Catholicism, which a lot of, you know, Haitians do. Like, a lot of the, the saints coexist with some of the deities, and it's it's kind of crazy. Like, when I was going through some spiritual things, you would always do something that wasn't really Catholic-like. It was like, you know what's going on. Like, you knew this. <laughs> I don't know, but I guess it just gives her a kind of faith, so I don't bash it. You know, I don't be like, yo, this is not what you should be messing with, Grandma. First of all, I wouldn't talk to Grandma Lucy like that, but otherwise, it's just like, you know, I got baptized out of love for her. Densu Yao, just water spirit. These are all, you know, Akan-based spirits, Akan-based spirits, Akan-based deities. Um, just I can go for days. Yao Sichi, Tianfuma, Brenya, Kweku Deku, Nana AC. You know, it's all part of, you know, all part of Yoruba. Um, but that's really like that really connects with my music, and it connects with the drumming, connects with everything. It's I feel like every aspect of art that I'm involved in I just put it all in the one put it all in the one cup
Tarita Russell. I met Tarita online two years ago where we discovered we may be family through Ancestry.com. Two years and a light Facebook relationship later, my daughter and I are in her living room. Tarita and I are a year apart and grew up in the same county, the same city. We share third great grandparents, and although that makes us an awkward set of cousins, she immediately is a collage of home, and she is an ancestor returned. So one of my best friends is from the Netherlands. And so once I started hanging out with her, I realized she knew so much about her lineage, you know? And so she knew so much about her culture and, you know, where, even though they weren't like necessarily from the Netherlands, like they were from um, Curacao and Aruba and she knew about the slaves being brought. She just knew a lot about her family. And I said, dang, I don't really know much about mine. Like, it made me want to know more. I said, all I thought was like my immediate family. If you're not showing up at the, the family reunion, I just didn't know. But it made me want to go back and really see like where we came from. And, and you know, my parents, they lost a lot of that and, and had no desire to really, you know, well, we're from D.C. No, we're not from D.C. Like, where are we from, from? No, the family's from D.C. And I even made them think a little bit because they just were like, we're from D.C. And I'm like, no, didn't, didn't start there. You know, let's go back, let's go back. And so, yeah, I'm still working to learn more. Like, how do we not know? You know, it's so crazy because I was watching a um, D.L. stand-up and he said, isn't it funny how we get stolen and sold and then Ancestry DNA, they're like, yeah, we'll sell you your information of where you stole you, where we stole you from. <laughs> we'll sell that back to let you know where we got you from. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is so true. He's like, only white people would do something like that. And here I am on Ancestry DNA to buying back. Where did you get me from? <laughs> oh, okay, West Africa. Thank you for telling me where you get where you stole my people from. Appreciate that. Is is is. Do you mind telling me your full name? Makisa Inusa. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from West Africa, so Togo. Togo, okay, so many people may not know much about Togo. Can you tell me a little bit about Togo? Uh, Togo is a, a former German colony, and after the First World War, it was divided between the French and the English. So the current Togo is what is called the French part. The English part is with the Gold Coast, which is the actual Ghana. And it's between Ghana Benin and uh, the north side is uh, Burkina Faso. Oh, thank you for breaking that down for me because I didn't realize that Ghana was once a part of Togo. Yes, um, even today we call there is a, a in Togo we said the British part of Togo is now incorporated into the actual Ghana. And originally the current Togo should be formed together with Benin that the French decide to make it a separate country. Is this your home now, the D.C. area? Yeah, I'm uh, here uh, at least for uh, 10 years in Maryland area, yes. I mean, for Western Africa, there's a lot of Western African countries. I mean, people here, like from Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, and uh, Guinea. So there is a lot of uh, 
community gathering in that area, in that sense. That's something I love about this area is that you get to meet so many people from so many places um, and just in one, one little space. Yeah. When is the first moment you realized that this was home for you? Um, coming from West Africa, for me, there is no choice to make. The first place I go and then I find myself, I'm able to find what I need, I make it my home. And I think sometimes we don't know. So I'm going to ask you one more time, if you can name all the languages together that you speak, just list them. Okay, I'll say Basa, Kotokoli, Chamba, French, English, and Spanish. Do you get to use any of languages from home here? Yes, my mother tongue, yes, I use it with my wife at home. Beautiful. And do you have children that you've taught the language to? Yeah, my daughters, I try to put them more in French, but there is a little bit of resistance, but I still try. <laughs> I have a co-worker who has done this DNA test and actually find that she's from Togo. Wow, wow. And then, and what is she planning to do with that? Yeah, but she, since she knows that she's from Togo, she's planning to go visit Togo and see, maybe by asking, she will be able to see where is a, a village. So she want to go up to the source. We plan to go together, so I'll guide her a little bit. And uh, maybe by asking the name of her grandparents, because most of the time by the family name, we can guide you to where your village is. Oh, that's amazing. The last name gave you gave an idea about which tribe or which ethnic group you may be from. Where does she think she was from before? Where, is, where is she from originally? She's originally from North Carolina. So she had no idea until she took this DNA test that Togo was home. And then she was working with somebody from Togo. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a blessing. <laughs> You're like, I can help you with that. <laughs> when, and my other question is, when you moved here to the U.S., did you see people and say, oh, they look like somebody back in Togo? Or, you know, did you see them physically and think that they reminded you of people from home? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, physically, there is a lot of people. Even sometimes you may think that, hey, this is the person that I know in back home. And when you get close, you try to speak with the person with the local language and you see that it doesn't respond. That's where you notice now it's just a resemblance. Home. Sound, a remembrance, a resemblance, an ancestor returned. This is Nichelle Calhoun and you are listening to Perpetual Blackness, a show that tells the stories of Black DC, Maryland and Virginia while telling my own family story over nine generations.